Isaiah 44, verse number 21, and verse 22. Anybody ever have your phone go off in the middle of service? You know, it's really bad when it's the pastor, amen? So I want to make sure that I got this thing turned off, amen. All right. Isaiah 44, verse 21 and verse 22. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Let's pray. Dear Father, we tonight we just thank you to, as we can open thy word and trust and know thy truth. Father, we thank you tonight for the wonderful blessings. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed for us. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would meet with us. And once again, Lord, may your love flow out to us, your mercy, your grace, and your strength. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, God has blessed the nation of Israel in this portion of Scripture. He had led them out of bondage in Egypt. He provided for them while they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He had given them the land of Canaan that they might inhabit that. And God had given them judges to give guidance and direction. When they wanted to have a king, God gave them Saul because they wanted to be like all the other nations. You know, as time went on, the nation of Israel decided to turn from the true and the living God to serve false gods. They began to follow the wicked practices of the heathen nations like Molech and uh, the other, <clears throat> excuse me, who offered their children uh, in fire. They uh, followed the prostitution of the day. They made idols unto false gods. Blood and violence filled their nation. There was a spiritual famine in the land. Even as the dark times spiritually of this old world, God has always had a witness in those dark days. Before the flood, there was a man by the name of Noah. During the times of the judges, God raised up people like Gideon, like Samson, like Deborah and Barak. God raised up a prophet by the name of Isaiah who called his people back to himself. Isaiah was God's spokesman for truth and for holiness. Isaiah was God's light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. He was the salt which God used to create a thirst to, in, a nation, in the nation of Israel, a thirst for God, His Word, and righteousness. As we look at the state of Israel in Isaiah's days, we may have, they may have wondered, is there any hope? And folks, tonight, I, you know, as we look at America, America is in a spiritual famine. We have forgotten God in our personal lives. We have tried to remove God out of our schools. We've removed prayer. We've removed um, uh, the Bible from the schools, the courthouses, and from government. We call evil good. Our homes are divided. Everyone is going about doing their own thing their own way. There's no respect for the ancients. We have embraced the world in our churches and the power of God is no longer evident. We have sacrificed the truth on the altar of tolerance. 
There's a lack of desire for spiritual things. We have become a lover of pleasures more than a lover of God. Some might wonder, is there any hope for America? To come back to those old principles that can provide rest and peace. In Isaiah 44, verses 21 and 22, God reminds Israel of three important truths not to forget. These truths were written to his people. These truths which we as the children of God ought never to forget as well. They will give us courage and strength to keep us in the good fight for the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm having a problem with this thing. It's crackling and popping and doing all sorts of things. So I'm going to find something for this thing tonight. Here we go. So tonight as we look at this, we have three important truths not to forget. We're going to look at verse number 21 in this portion. Notice, first of all, they were the Lord's servants. Verse number 21. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee, thou art my servant. You know, as we stop and as we think about this, this idea that Israel was the Lord's servant, it was so important on the mind of the Lord that he says it twice in one verse. Thou art my servant. You know, when God says something once, it's important. But when he emphasizes it and he says it the second time, we better sit up and take notice. And here, as we think about this, as, as we realize this, as servants, they belonged to a master. You are my servant. When one thinks of a servant, you think of a master-servant relationship. There was someone who is in control, and God was their master. Servants not only were under, uh, belonged to a master, but they served under the direction of a master. When the master would say, this is what I want you to do, the servant would follow the directions, the instructions of what the, Lord had said, uh, what the master had said to do. Not only that, they served under the authority of the master. They served under the authority of the master. For example, when the master gave them a, a command, he'd say, I want you to go do this, and this is my authority. Let me show you an, an example. Go to Genesis chapter 24 and verse number 1. Genesis chapter 24 and verse number 1. Abraham was looking to find a son, or excuse me, find a daughter for his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 24 and verse number 1. It says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Preadventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into the land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land 
he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt uh, be clear from this my oath, only bring not my son thither again. Here as we look at this, uh, as the servant Eliezer goes out and looking for a wife, could you imagine looking for a wife for your master? He's going out, if you would, under the direction of his master. He's going out under the authority to look for one to be his master's son's wife. What a tremendous responsibility. He was representing a higher authority than himself. You know, before we were saved, you and I, we were bound by sin. We were bound and under the control of Satan. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. We find the direction of our life before we were saved. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you hath he quickened, talking of God, quickening, that word quicken means to make alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before we were saved, we were dead. You know, we hear a lot of people today talking about zombies, people up walking around. And, and Can I tell you something? Can I just share it with you? That's of the occult, folks. Talking about zombies and all that. You say, well, Pastor, it, it looks cool. Can I tell you something? It's of Satan. Necromancy and all of that and dealing with Satan, uh, all that deals with Satan. We ought not to be involved with that. We ought not to be watching it on TV. You say, oh, Pastor, isn't that, isn't that cool? No, it's not cool. You, you want to you please Satan or you want to please God? So here in this portion, God says, before we were saved, we were dead. We were shut off toward God. We were dead toward God. But he made us alive. How wonderful that is. To be made alive. Now, all of a sudden, now I can talk with God. The things of God, once I'm saved, the things of God become real. The natural man, the lost man, the unsaved man. Natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. As a lost person looking at the Scriptures, and they, try, they can read the words. It's not a matter of reading the words. It's understanding what you're reading. How many have ever read something you didn't understand what you were reading? You know, sometimes when the English lit, I was not an English lit. I, you know, I read it, had to read it in high school, and had to read it in college, and all the these and the thous. And I get lost. In it. So, you know, you have to go get those cliff notes for somebody to tell you what these people were saying. Why don't they just speak English? Engl in English lit, they should. Just, just get out there and speak it. You know, uh, we can understand those type of things. But I submit to you, that's the same idea when we're looking at the Word of God. Lost people don't understand the truth and the principles that are in the Word of God. They are foolishness unto them. That's why when people say, well, I'm going to go to a college, I'm going to take contemporary uh, religions, and some lost person is going to tell me about Christianity and tell me about why Jesus Christ uh, was just a good man teaching good precepts. He was more than just a good man. He was God in the flesh. And you and I, we need to understand that a lost person doesn't understand this book. It's only when you get saved do you understand it. And the Spirit of God comes, and He comes to live inside our spirit, and then we are alive to the things of God. But before that time, we look at verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. You know, this world's going on a course. Yeah. 
It's got a prescribed direction. Well, you get into world and in this world, you got to get stuff. You know, got to get a house, and you got to get a car, and you got to get a job. You got to get things and, and, and get prosperity and get all these things. And then uh, when you get after a while, you know, you got a family, you get all that type of stuff, and then you get old, and you know, the, the best days are the old days. Folks, can I tell you something? What is this? You know what? There's trials in the old days. Amen. amen. Some of you've understood that. You know, the older you get, you say, "Well, you know, the golden years, those good old days." Folks, you remember in the good old days? Some of you remember back in the Great Depression. Those were hard days. Those were tough days. You didn't know whether you're going to have food to eat. I think that, I think those days are coming back around. If we don't learn from the past, we're bound to repeat it, and we haven't learned much. But I submit to you that this world is on a course. It's on a direction. The one thing about this course of this world, it's going to end up in death. All this world, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's appointed to man once to die, and after this, the judgment. All of this is going to go. You just go the course of this world. You think how the world thinks. You act like the world acts. You're still, if you're, if you're a lost person, that's what you're going to do. Don't expect a lost person to act like a Christian. We expect, because we come to church, we hear the word of God, we hear the truth of God's word, and we expect lost people to act like Christians with integrity and with honesty and to love one another and to try to help and encourage one another. And you get out in the world and everybody's for themselves. And, hey, you know what, I'll cut you off if you're in front of me and, and I'm going to give you a piece of my mind and I'm just going to, you know, that whole attitude is nothing but the world's mind. Why should we be surprised? Because the course of this world. And we think, as we look here, we understand who's behind the course of this world. It says, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. It's another name for Satan. We were talking this morning about Satan and different names and titles that he has. He's called Lucifer, the bright, the, the light bearer. He's called, uh, he's called Satan, um, which is, uh, deals with that idea. I'm drawing a blank right now. Help me. Huh? Nope, that's Apollyon. Um, I'll go over there to Revelation for a second. Adversary. Yeah, there we go. Adversary. Uh, and he's, uh, he's called the devil. Uh, you know, he's the one that's the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. Folks, this is Satan. He's got... He's got different names, and God uses those in the Scripture so you understand where he's coming from. He's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Hey, lost people, they are encouraged by Satan to go down the path that they're going down. He wants them to go there. He's, he is Apollyon. He's the destroyer. He likes it when people's lives, their homes, are destroyed. He loves it when a nation's destroyed. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So Satan always likes the opposite of that. And that's exactly what we have in America. Our nation has turned their back on God. And what are we seeing? We're seeing the destroying of a nation. Verse number three, look what he says. Among whom we all had our conversation or manner of living. That's that idea. In times past, in the lust of the flesh, we're just fulfilling what our flesh wanted to do, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, sinful nature, 
the children of wrath, even as others. See, our old man, that old life, we were, we were walking according to Satan's plan. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, it says, He answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. If you have that mindset, you're going to live in your sin and you're going to fulfill the desires of your flesh and your mind, you're living in sin. And you are a servant of sin. A servant. Well, we were talking about a master and we're talking about a servant. Before we were saved, we were a servant of sin. We were following our master and our master was Satan. You know, some people don't like to hear that. Because they like to think we're all God's children. We're all going to heaven. That's not true. John chapter 8, verse 44. Go over there. John chapter 8, verse 44. John 8, 44. Jesus is speaking to some religious people. Because they were making some interesting statements about Jesus. They were saying that he was illegitimate. We don't know who's, who your father is. The belief was that uh, of many of these people at that time was that Jesus was a byproduct of a Roman, uh, Roman soldier and Mary having, uh, having uh, sex together, and that's what was, that was the byproduct. Uh, and they, that's what they were basically accusing Jesus of in this portion. Hey, we know who our father is. You just don't know who yours is. <laughs> well, Jesus knew who his father was. And now he comes down to verse 44, and he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father, the earnest desire, the passions of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. You sit back and you look at people murdering all these people. You say, where's all this coming from? Ah, they're following their father the devil. You say, I wish this, this would all stop. It's not going to stop as long as there's a devil. He's a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Satan doesn't want the truth out there. We're hearing more and more lies being propagated and people are calling evil good and good evil and those different things. People, they don't want to hear it. You say, Pastor, I wish it would all get straightened out. It's not going to get straightened out because the Bible says the whole world lieth in the wicked one. In the control of Satan, he's shaping and encouraging people in this path. And Jesus says, Satan abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Well, why are these people lying? Because they're following their father. It's the bottom line. They're following their father. Well, why can't they tell the truth? Well, if they could tell the truth if they had a different father. You know what? You hear me say this. Jesus makes a difference in your life. When Jesus comes into your life, he changes your life and your thinking. Before we were following the course of this world, a course of corruption, a course of decay, a course of evil. But when Jesus comes in, he comes in with righteousness. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, we have a new master. We've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're no longer under our old master, the devil. We have a new master to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6.22 says, But now being made free from sin, we become servants to God to have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. 
Now, I don't have to follow Satan. You and I, we don't have to follow Satan any longer. If we follow Satan, can I tell you something? It's because we have made a choice to do so. Lost person doesn't have a choice to follow Jesus. They're following their father. We have a choice. We don't have to follow Satan any longer. Jesus has set us free. We have freedom in Christ to do that which is right, to do that which is right. We have a new master, but we also have a new direction. Look with me to Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Romans 6 and verse 17. We have a new direction. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. That's before we were saved. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Folks, once before we, we were going, we were following uh, evil, we were going that direction. That was the way of our life, but now we've been set free. Now we're, we're, we're going the way of righteousness. Folks, that's why when we talk about this thing about being saved, truly a person who is saved, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. God it starts revealing things. Well, you know what? That thought, that direction, that anger, that bitterness, that envy, that's not good. That's not right. You need to get that out of your life. And as we start yielding to the Spirit of God, He shows us and He changes us. We're being changed from glory unto glory as unto the Lord. God is changing us. Let me ask you, how much have you been changed to be like the Lord. See, we're only going to be as changed as much as we yield our life to the control of the master. If we're fighting and resisting the master, well, first of all, you're not going to win. You're not. There's no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. You're fighting a losing battle. So you know what happens? When you're fighting against what the Lord's trying to do in your life, you are the one that's going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. So why not just turn that cat around and go the right way? You can keep brushing that cat the wrong way, and it's not going to be happy. Some of you got cats. How many of you got cats? Got some cats? Okay, some of you got cats. Um, you know, if you just kind of, tonight, when you go home to your cat, just start brushing it the wrong way. Just see what that cat does. Yeah! You know, it starts clawing on you. It starts, uh, no, that's not a happy sight. Well, you know what? That's how you are. You're like that cat. You know, you're, I don't like this. Well, then just turn the cat around. Turn him around and start petting him that same way. You go there and, and you're going the right way because God's way is the right way. It's the best way for you. We have a new master. We have a new direction. We have a new authority. Hey, this new lifestyle of righteousness is commanded by our new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.16, it says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Hey, we have, we have a new authority. I'm to live a, a life that's pleasing to God, and that new life, I'm following the master's direction. Leviticus chapter 22.31 says, Therefore shall ye keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. We're to obey the Lord. People today in, in a lot of churches say, Well, you know what? That's legalism. No, that's called obedience. 
I'm not keeping the law and the commandments of God in order to earn salvation. I keep the law because I keep the, the truth and what God says to do because I am saved. Amen. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Second uh, Kings chapter 17, verse 13 says, Yea, the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I have commanded your fathers and which I have sent to you by my servants, the prophets. God commands for us to obey his word. Job 14, 15 excuse me, John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. I wonder how many people really love Jesus today. See, if you love Jesus, you're going to do what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you love me not, it's because you don't, or you don't keep my commandments, you don't really love me. Look at John chapter 14. Go over there with me. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. No, there's a, people don't like to be told to do anything. I just want to live my life. I want to be, a, I want to be a, 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 a mighty in spirit, but I don't want God to tell me how to be mighty in spirit. I don't want to do what God says. And you'll never be mighty in spirit unless you obey God. Unless you're attentive to his word and doing and desiring to do what God's word says. John 14, verse number 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will. He will, notice, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come and, unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not. We say, well, how can I tell if I love the Lord, if I, if I don't love the Lord? Well, he tells you right here. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. person says, well, I'm saved. I love Jesus as my Savior. And you say, well, you're keeping what God's word says. Well, no. Then God says, let me just tell you something. You don't love Jesus. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hears not mine, but the Father which sent me. See, an obedient Christian is one who loves the Lord. How can I tell if I'm, a, if I'm in love with Christ? I obey his word. He's the master, we're the servant. The Lord wanted to remind Israel, guess what? I'm the master, you're the servant. The servant wouldn't come back and say, well, I don't think that law is right. I don't think you should do that. I was just listening to one of the news broadcasts, and they were talking about how that some of the people that are under different authorities, how that they were challenging the authorities that were above them. Folks, can I tell you something? You're starting to, you're, you're putting anarchy in place. It's exactly what happened. You say, well, pastor, I, you know, I think that, you know, this is, this is a good idea. Well, folks, can I tell you something? How are you going to ever learn to submit to God's authority and just trust the Lord if you're going to argue with God about what he's doing in your life? I think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. I just need to trust him. Well, God, I think it should go this way. God didn't ask you. God just says, do this. Trust me. 
Well, I think this is a better way. Can I tell you something? You're arguing with God. I don't know about you. God's ways, his ways are different than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I'm learning that more and more every day. You say, well, pastor, you should get it down by now. Yeah, I should, but I'm still learning it. Because I think this is the best plan. God says, no, let me just tell you, I've got a better plan. Just trust me. Just trust me. We're not marching under our own orders. We're marching under the orders of the Lord. There was a stormy night in Birmingham, England, and, and Hudson Taylor, the uh, missionary, was asked to speak at a meeting at the Severn Street uh, schoolroom. The hostess of the meeting said, well, you know what? <laughs> Uh, Mr. Hudson, Mr. Taylor, there's not going to be anybody come. It's a horrible night. There's, there, you know, people are just not going to come out to that. And Taylor said, you know, must I must go even if there's no one but the doorkeeper. So he went that night and he preached the word because God had called him. God had led him to that place. There was less than a dozen people showed up, fewer than what we have here tonight. But the meeting was marked with success. Because the results of that meeting, half of those that were present became missionaries. And the other part that didn't become missionaries supported missions. Folks, we never know what God is doing. We might think we do. But when God speaks, we need to submit to his leadership. He is the master. We are the servant. Notice the second point that we see back in Isaiah 44 in verse 21, and that is this. They, the nation of Israel, were not to forget that the Lord, who had, uh, it was the Lord who had formed them. Go back to Isaiah 44 and verse 21. We ought, they ought not to forget that the Lord had formed them. The Lord had done a work in creating them. Isaiah 44, verse 21. Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel, for thou art my servant. Notice, I have formed thee. I have formed thee. That word formed, it means to fashion, uh, to be created. God had created Israel with a, sp a specific plan in mind. They were not a mistake, but they were rather, they were a divine creation of God. You know, we as God's children need to remember that we are a special creation of God. You are a special creation of God. Isaac, you're a special creation of God tonight. The, the, the world would tell you, evolutionists would say, you know what, you're just a series of mistakes. That's what they say. But may I share with you that the Bible tells us something totally different. God's perspective. Look at Psalm chapter 100. Psalm 100 verse 3. I don't know about you, when I was a boy I learned this psalm. And it stuck with me all these years. How wonderful this psalm is, Psalm 100. It's a great, encouraging psalm. Verse number one, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Is it not saying exactly what we saw over in Isaiah? Hey, the Lord, he is God. He's the master. Notice what it says. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. Hey, God's made us. We didn't make ourselves. You know, 
if we were involved in how we were made, we probably would recommend to God to do things a little differently. <laughs> Cosmetic plastic uh, surgery statistics in New York, this is April 4, 2011, it says the demand for plastic surgery procedures increased almost 9% last year. According to statistics released by the American Society uh, for Plastic Surgery, the, uh, uh, these, the stats were collected by a multi-specialty procedure statistic since 1997, says that the overall number of cosmetic procedures has increased 155% since the tracking of statistics first began. Almost 9.5 million cosmetic, surgical, and non-surgical procedures were performed in the United States in 2010. People were not happy. They wanted a nose job, they wanted this tucked up, they wanted this loose. They want all sorts of things. They weren't happy with what they had. In an article entitled Teen Health and Media, uh, this is the source of the National Institute on Media and Family, in a survey of girls 9 and 10 years old, 40% have tried to lose weight according to an ongoing study funded by the National Heart, Lung, and, Bo and Blood Institute. In a study of 5th graders, 10-year-old girls and boys told researchers that they were dissatisfied with their own bodies after watching a music video by Britney Spears or a clip from the TV, TV show Friends. One study reports that the age, at age 13, 53% of American girls are unhappy with their bodies. This grows to 78% by the time girls reach 17. The National Institute on Mental Health estimates that eating disorders affect more than 5 million Americans each year, and an estimate 1,000 women die each year of anorexia nervosa, trying to diet to become like these models. You know, there are so many folk who are dis dissatisfied with how God has made them. Some wish that they could be smaller, too tall. Some people say, you know, I, I wish I were taller. Others wish uh, that they had smaller ears. Wish, uh, others wish that they, they had uh, smaller feet or, or they wish that they could be bigger. Folks, may I share with you, in a letters to God, here's what some, here's what some children uh, wrote to God about some of these different issues. The child wrote, says, did you mean for a giraffe to look like that or was he just an accident? Another one wrote, thank you for the baby brother, but I think you got confused because I prayed for a puppy. <laughs> Another one wrote, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. <laughs> Another one said, please send a new baby for mommy. The baby you sent last week cries too much. Another one said, could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. These were, these were prayers to God. May I share with you that God wanted Israel to know that it was he that had formed them. He had created them the way that he had created them. When God created the world and all that he had made, he said that it was, in Genesis 1.31, very good. You know, in Psalm 18.30, it says, For as for God, his way is perfect. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 14, turn over there, you're in Psalms, go to Psalm 139, verse 14, to give you an understanding of how God looks at you. God perceives you. Psalm 139, this is what the psalmist says. He says, I will praise thee, David speaking, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Hey, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, man, I wish I had a higher voice. You know what? God created you with the voice that he gave you to bring glory to him. Nobody can praise him like you can. Nobody can. When you don't use what God has given you to praise him, he's missing out on some of the glory and the praise that's due him. You say, well, pastor, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. It said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Noise is irregular vibration. If God created you, he wants you to use what he's given you. He's given you a sharp mind. Can I tell you something? God wants you to use that sharp mind for him. He's created you with that. You say, well, pastor, I'm not like so-and-so. God didn't want you to be like so-and-so. If God wanted you to be like so-and-so, he would have made you like so-and-so. He made you special. You are special. Some of us, I keep telling some people, they're really special. <laughs> they're unique. Praise God. Couldn't handle two of them. But, you know, <laughs> but we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. Hey, you need to see things from God's perspective. God wanted them to understand. He wanted Israel to know that and understand that he didn't make a mistake when he created them. And God did not make a mistake when he created you. God knew what he was doing when he made us. Exodus 4.11, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Well, pastor, if I just had this ability, if I could just... Can I tell you something? God knows all of these things. God has created us the way that he wants to bring him glory. Look at John chapter number 9. He comes across a person who's, who's uh, blind from birth. John chapter number 9, verse number 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, they had part of the truth, and part of the truth, you know, the sins of the parents are passed down to the third and fourth generation. So they were thinking, well, who sinned? Was it this man or was it the parents? And notice what Jesus said. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned. Now, he's not saying that they were sinless in perfection. He was just saying that this, the result of this blindness was not because of his sin, nor of his parents' but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That God was going to do a miracle on his behalf. Sometimes we look at situations of our life and, and we say, well, you know what, I must have done something really bad, something really wrong, because God made me this way with this situation. Can I tell you something? Not necessarily so. Now, if there's sin in our life, we can confess it, and God, you know, pray the Spirit of God, God will expose it to us, and we can confess it, and we can be right with God. But sometimes the situations that have happen our way are not because of those things. It's because God wants to get glory, and he's going to get glory through your life in the midst of that uh, struggle or that trial. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, I'm going to do, do a miracle here. This guy's blind. And he comes up, puts, makes some clay, spits on the ground, makes some clay, puts it on his eyes, says, hey, go wash. Goes and washes, and all of a sudden he can see. Boy, what a testimony he became for the Lord Jesus Christ. May I share with you that God has created us special. He didn't make any mistakes when he created you. He formed you to bring glory to himself. Let me ask you the question. Are you bringing glory to God through your life? Are you bringing glory to God for your life? Little, I came across something that's called be, uh, be Thankful for Life. Even though I clutch my blankets and groan when the alarm rings each morning, some of you understand this really quickly, thank you, Lord, that I can hear. There are those who are deaf. Even though I keep my eyes tightly closed against the morning light as long as possible, you hit the snooze button over and over again, thank you, Lord, that I can see. There are many who are blind. Even though I huddle in my bed and put off the physical effort of rising, thank you, Lord, that I have strength to rise. There are many who are bedfast. Even though the first hour of my day is hectic, when socks are lost, toast is burnt, tempers are short, thank you, Lord, for my family. There are many who are lonely. Even though our table never looks like the pictures in the magazines and the menu is at times unbalanced, thank you, Lord, for the food we have. There are many who are hungry. Even though the routine of my job is often monotonous, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to work. There are many who have no work. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of life. Good thought good thought. Notice the third thing very quickly. And we find it here in verse number 21 that God would never forget them. God wanted them to know that he would never forget them. Verse 21, it says, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. That word forgotten means to cause to forget, allow to be forgotten. You know, there's some squirrely so-called Bible scholars that say, well, you know what? God's no longer dealing with the nation of Israel. They have not read the book because God said he was not going to forget them. He was not going to forget them. Each of us like to be remembered when, there's, when people are passing out Christmas gifts, don't we? Don't forget me or Mother's Day, or Father's Day, or hit a home run in a game. We don't like to, to be missed out on for the act of kindness that we show. We don't like to be forgotten. We like to be remembered. During the reign of Queen Victoria, a London doctor visited a 72-year-old lady. Her name was Maria Vincent. Her husband had abandoned her some years earlier, and she was poor and lived in a, in a humble uh, surroundings. She was undernourished. She didn't have warm clothes, no wood for the fire. The doctor couldn't believe that, that her friends would allow her to live in such a, a condition. And when asked about it, Maria said this. She says, I have no friends. Later, as the doctor was talking to her, 
he asked her, he said, are you sure you have no friends? And she says, well, I do have one friend, but I'm sure that she's forgotten me. He said, well, who was that friend? And Maria has told him, he says, it was the queen. But I'm sure she's forgotten me by now. The doctor left the place and not sure what to believe with what Maria had told him. When he got home, he wrote a letter to the queen and relating the incident to her. And the queen, a few days later, responded in a, in a, in a letter back to him. And she said, you know, uh, no, I hadn't forgotten her. I know who she is. Enclosed in the letter was enough money to provide for all of Maria's needs for the remaining part of her life. And so Maria Vincent lived comfortably as a friend of the queen. You know, God told Israel that he would never forget them. In Isaiah 49, go back to Isaiah 49 for a second, verse number 13. Isaiah 49 and verse 13. Oh, dear friend, I hope you understand. You may stray and wander from the Lord, but if you're his child, he's never going to forget you. You may go through some hard times. God may have to chasten you. As Jeremiah was saying, it's not in man to direct his steps. He said, well, I'm going to direct what I'm going to do and how I'm going to... It's not in us. We don't, we don't even know what's the right step sometimes. And Jeremiah asked the Lord to direct his steps. And Lord, if you're going to chasten me, if you're going to correct me, correct me in judgment and not in anger. In judgment. Lord, I, there, for us, there are times when we need to be corrected because we're going the wrong way. We need to be chastened. And the Lord will chasten us, as Hebrews 12 says, the chastening of the Lord. The Lord will chasten us as his children because he wants us to go in the right path, to go in the right direction. He wants our faith to be encouraged and to be helped. And he can only do that by chastening correction from the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse number 13, look what it says. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have, uh, will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion saith, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. That's what Israel was saying. God's forsaken me. God's, God doesn't see me anymore. Notice what he says. Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, that... They may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thinking, he's graven them on what? The palms of his hands. Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says the people are going to look on him whom they have pierced. You know the nail prints in Jesus' hands? That place where he was thrust in his side. Remember Thomas said, unless I can put my finger in the nail prints and thrust my hand in his side, I will not believe. And when Jesus came and appeared, he says, okay, here, here, here are the nail prints. Put your finger in the nail prints. Thrust your hand in my side. 
You know what? Jesus is going to carry those wounds for the rest of eternity to demonstrate to you and me, I believe, how much he loved us. I praise God for a Savior like that. What a Savior we have. As God's children, our God will never forget us. Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Sometimes when we're going through the trials of life, we may feel that God has forgotten us. The heat and the pressure seems to be too intense to endure. May I share with you that diamonds are formed by great pressure and heat. If these conditions do not exist, they just simply are not formed. It is not that they will be of low quality or smaller in size, but they will not be formed if there's not pressure and there's not heat. God brings his refining fire into our lives to create us, to create in us what he sees fit. When he sees our lack of character, he will bring into our lives what we need. So the next time that that fiery trial comes your way, thank God he is producing exactly what he knows you need in your life. The only difference between a diamond and a piece of coal is pressure. Man, I just need to get out from underneath this pressure. God is shaping us. As we conclude tonight, don't forget. Don't forget that you're God's servant. He's your master. He's the one who gives the direction for your Christian life. He's the one that's giving us the marching orders. You say, well, pastor, there's people out there that tell us not to go knocking on doors. Hey, the Lord gave us the marching orders. We're supposed to go out and do it. People said, have said over time, well, you know those pagans out there, those heathen people out there in these foreign lands, if they, if, if, if they needed to be uh, westernized, uh, then, then uh, you know, they would have that out there. Hey, I'm not going to westernize people. I'm not trying to westernize people. I'm trying to share the gospel with people so they might be saved. Why do you do that? Because my Savior said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not only... Are we God's servant? But God has formed us, and he makes no mistakes. Oh, my friend, we make mistakes in life, don't we? When I'm woodworking and things are not just right, I sometimes I'll try to sand it off, try to get it. Sometimes I just have to start all over again. But you know what? Our God, he knows how to work like the potter on the potter's wheel and reshape us. Sometimes we get, sometimes if it, through sin, sin affects us, and we can't be the vessel that the Lord has for us. And so he reshapes another vessel to bring him glory. He has that power. He's fashioned you the way that you are to bring praise and glory to him. And he will never forget you. No matter how tough the road, the Lord is there with us. During World War II, the U.S. Marine was separated from his unit on a Pacific island. The fighting had been intense, and in the smoke and in the crossfire, he lost his comrades. And so he was alone in the jungle, and he went up and he found a cave to hide into, and the enemy was, was uh, uh, coming. He was he's scrambling for that cover as he was there, and that they were searching all over trying to find any of the, any of the uh, American soldiers that were there. 
He watched and he prayed. And he said this, Lord, if it be your will, please protect me. Whatever your will, though, I will love and trust you. Amen. After praying, he just quietly lay there in that cave. He was hearing the enemy getting closer and closer. And he thought, well, I guess the Lord isn't going to help me out of this one. Then he saw at the mouth of the cave a spider starting to spin a web. He just watched it. It was just putting one strand over another strand over another strand across the entrance of the cave. And says, oh, I thought, you know what? What I need is a brick wall and, and what the Lord has sent it to me is just a spider's web. God does have a sense of humor. But as the enemy drew close, I mean, they were right outside. But they didn't enter into the cave. As they came to that place, he realized that that spider web had made it look over that entrance as if no one who had ever entered in there in a long time. May I share with you that God had not forgotten him. You know, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not ours. But we can trust him. We can trust him. Let's pray. Dear Father, tonight we thank you for your precious word. I thank you, Lord, that we are your servants. Lord, sometimes we feel so inadequate. You've called us to jobs and called us to things to do that, Lord, we don't see that we have the power or the strength or the ability. And yet, Lord, you've promised that if you've called us that you will equip us. You'll give us your grace and your power. Lord, we're loved by you and not forsaken, not forgotten. Lord, you've formed us. You have a plan for the way that you've made us. Father, I pray that we would thank you, even so tonight, to thank you for how good you've been. And Lord, that we would just surrender our will and our, our life to you, that you would have the freedom to do with our life whatever you would. Father, I love you tonight. And I pray in this time of invitation, if there's one without Jesus tonight, that they'd realize that you love them, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, what a promise you've given to the world. You sent your Son, Jesus, to die for us. We're sinners who need a Savior. And right now, if we would just Believe what you said about your son. He was the sinless sacrifice who shed his blood for our sins. He was buried. He rose again, victorious over the grave. And if we call unto you that we shall be saved. Lord, I pray, this one without Jesus tonight, they would call and ask to be saved. Father, I thank you for this time meeting with us. 
We give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask that you stand? Brother Scott's going to lead us in a song, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, page 270 tonight. Tonight, as you...